C.S. Lewis writes this about pride. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, but only out of having more of it than the next person. You may think that you're proud of being successful or intelligent or good-looking. You might want to think again, because when you're surrounded by other people with more success or more intelligence, or better looks. Isn't it funny how you lose all pleasure in those things? Well, take, for instance, lust. It may drive you into the bed of a beautiful woman because you want her. But pride, however, drives you to sleep with a beautiful woman just to prove to including yourself that you can do that more than others. A proud man gets no pleasure from the woman It's all about him. Pride turns everything into a means to an end. No, it's always a way of impressing others, of of getting approval. Now, imagine that same kind of pride being applied to spiritual practices. Uh, We would be very naive to think that this doesn't happen as we are ending our month on our emphasis of prayer in October, I'm acutely aware of how easy it is to make prayer a public performance as opposed to more of a private devotion. I mean, let's face it. We Christians have mastered the art of judging other people by their outward appearance. Have we not? We've got great experience at that. I mean, if a person prays in in flowing theological words in public, wow, they are spiritual, right? And those who don't, well, you just don't measure up. Uh, If a person speaks in tongues or operates in a public worship service with some other outward movement, they are filled with the spirits. Those who don't, need to get on the ball. If you want to really amp up your spiritual life, let people know you are fasting. Mm -mm -mm. This will put your Christian life on hyperdrive. I mean, fasting puts you in rarefied air, does it not? And it's best that you display it with a little faux humility by asking how you can pray for others during your fast. Mm. Or let others know you're fasting when they offer you a donut, okay? Obviously, praying, being filled with the Spirit fasting, these are good, normal practices for Christians. But I think it's the, the public nature of those things that can muddy the waters. And frankly, some Christian cultures that we have grown up in create environments where, you know, those disciplines become public performances instead of a private devotion. The Pharisees had this public performance thing down. It is why Jesus said, and and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that they're fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I want you to notice something, first of all. It says, when you fast, not if you fast. In other words, he expects his followers to be fasting. But Jesus says that our fasting should not be for the purpose of a, of a public display. And I think a fair uh, application would be that this applies to other spiritual practices as well, if at all possible. Now, this addresses the motives behind the disciplines, and in this case, fasting. Now, to anoint the head was commonly done as simply a matter of good grooming. Uh, the oil was, was uh, usually scented and partly perfumed. Everybody did that. Uh, washing the face was obviously a part of day-to-day living. So if I don't do these things, you know, I can have more of a spiritual look to people. And Jesus' point was that a person who fasts should do everything to make himself look normal and do nothing to try to attract attention to him or herself. Take care of your hair. Wash your face. And don't put on that, you know, dour, Christian, martyr complex look to show off your spiritual practices. We certainly don't need more of those. When at all possible, make sure God's the only one who knows you're fasting. Fasting is not there to impress someone. Now, talking about fasting and prayer, I mean, geesh, this is, uh, this is just, it could be a shame game, right? And that's not what I'm after. I hope to just create a little pathway for us to encourage us to insert some of these practices occasionally into our life, into a season of life. And frankly, part of the problem lies with pastors, all right? Because we rarely hear messages on fasting. I won't even ask for a show of hands, but I doubt that too many of us have have heard of a message particularly on fasting. In fact, I read of one author who said he searched uh, from the mid-1800s to the mid-1900s for a book that had been written on fasting and couldn't find one. (laughs) Messages that encourage us to put down our forks are not usually well-received. Now, while it's true that there are no mandates in the New Testament, I want to make this clear, there's no mandate that says, thou shalt fast just so we know that. But it's assumed. Jesus didn't say, you know, if you fast, but when you fast. It seemed to be a a regular part of the spiritual life of the church. So we might be wise not to leave the instruction on the shelf. Muslims are encouraged to fast as a requirement during Ramadan. I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to hear a Muslim say, "Uh, I'm just not going to do Ramadan. No. No. Any, any committed Muslim, or even a half-committed Muslim, would, would do Ramadan. Fasting doesn't have that kind of obligation for a Christian, but it offers tremendous benefits, and I hope to convince you of that today. Well, what is fasting? 
Fasting is, is voluntarily going without food or any other regularly enjoyed gift from God for spiritual purposes, and usually that's prayer. Uh, it's clearly countercultural. I mean, in our consumeristic society, right? Uh, we, fra- uh, we fast from what we can see and taste because we've tasted and seen the goodness of the invisible and infinite God. We're, we're desperately hungry to understand him better, to serve him more. Uh, we might say that fasting is a way to kind of, you know, break down our spiritual calluses and to regain sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And, and I'm all for whatever can help us do that, right? It's a way to abstain from something basic and regular in our life that relates to our self-sufficiency. It helps us to see that we have a greater need of our relationship with a living God. We might say it this way, that, that fasting expresses that Jesus is better than food, right? Uh, Jesus is more needful than food. Man shall not live by what? Bread alone. You need it, but there's something even better. Now, you can also choose to fast from other things, like social media. You ever tried to fast from your phone or Facebook or Instagram for a week? Try it. Try it. Or how about no TV for a week? Or no sports watching or whatever? All right? These are daily practices. In short, fasting kind of creates an unhindered conduit for our communion with God. And and that means our prayer, prayer life. Martin Luther declares, I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. I hesitated to use that quote because then I think many of us are going to say, well, unless I spend three hours, you know, I'm not spiritual. Not what I'm saying, but I'm just saying that you get so busy, he's saying, that I can't afford to not pray because I'm so busy. And of course, we normally don't think that way. David Brainerd was a missionary to the American Indians in the 1700s. His journal is permeated with his thoughts on prayer and fasting and meditation, uh, his journal said this, I love to be alone in my cottage where I can spend much time in prayer. I, I set apart this day for secret fasting and prayer to God. Now, the only way we discover that is because it was in his journal and people read it after he died. Archbishop William Temple noted wryly that coincidences occur much more frequently when we pray. <laughs> Frank Laubach, who ministered in the Philippines, is one of the only missionaries to be honored by having a U.S. stamp made after him. He once told his audiences, I'm very sensitive and know whether you're praying for me. If one of you lets me down, I feel it. When you're praying for me, I feel a strange power when every person in a congregation prays intensely while the pastor is preaching, a miracle happens. So we might say it this way, that, that, that biblical fasting makes a, a beeline for prayer. Now, as I've already pointed out, there are landmines with fasting, and I think landmines with any spiritual discipline. The Bible warns us about getting legalistic about eating or not eating food. 
You know, there are specific kind of biblical fasts now that you can't, you know, there's the, the, if I'm going to do it right, I got to do the Daniel fast, all right? Specific parameters the one has to follow. You know, it's kind of like growing kids God's way, right? You know, follow this prescription. This is exactly how God wants you to do it. Get outside of that and, whoops, you're not doing it the way God wants you to do it, okay? Those are landmines. That's a, a kind of legalism that you don't find in the Bible. The Bible warns us about getting legalistic. Food is not the key to understanding the kingdom of God. Colossians says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So you had people making spiritual conclusions based on food. And he's saying, that, that's not right. Later, if with Christ you die to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Okay? There is no secret. There is no special code. There is no five steps to spiritual life. Food is spiritually neutral. So the more teachers insist on imposing rules about eating or fasting, remember this, then the more they resemble false teachers. Look what 1 Timothy says. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. All right, it's interesting how you see this connection with false teaching, which, you know, most Christians just kind of blow it off because doctrine doesn't matter, so they say, right? You know, the Bible just, you know, really isn't all that important, certainly not the Word of God. All we need is the words of Jesus, and, you know, that, that, that's a popular thing today. Uh, that doesn't seem to be what... Paul is saying, he's saying that that kind of stuff, that, that, that false teaching, that has its roots in an evil world. Deceitful spirits, teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage, require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And then Paul says in Romans, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, it almost sounds like you don't need to fast at all. Does that negate? Teaching about fasting? No. It warns us about being legalistic, setting up false standards or expectations about what makes one right with God or spiritual. 
and the, and the Christian church, including our own in the early years, struggled with understanding the difference between making these false expectations that were not biblical upon Christians. You know, how you needed to dress or how you needed to school your children or, or how you needed to inoculate your children or a host of other things that people put on top of the scriptures that if you want to be accepted, you do these things, right? There's a warning against false standards or expectations to make one right with God. Again, this is done within Christian communities to get people to submit to something other than Scripture. And the Scripture does not explicitly promote those practices. I mean, some teachers come along, they're very persuasive, they, they convince people that they need this thing done in this way to catapult them into acceptance or spiritual heights. And it's not of God, all right? So let's not do that with fasting, all right? I am not going to give you, um, this is how you do it. I just want to carve a path and allow you an opportunity to maybe experiment with it, try it, see what works for you, all right? But first I want to talk about some biblical examples of fasting to encourage all of us of the benefit, all right? So what I want to encourage us to do is try this this week. It may be one meal, it may be two meals, it may be a day, however you want to do it, all right? In whatever fashion God leads you. And, and consider some of these reasons for, for fasting. Again, it doesn't have to be food. It might be with something else as well. But first, let's look at some scenarios. Um, fasting strengthens us for prayer. Uh, we read this in Ezra um, 8.23. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Notice, fasting and then coming before God, imploring him, begging him, okay? Constantly knocking, constantly asking, passionately coming before him. Fasting and prayer can strengthen our prayer. It makes us kind of have a laser focus. Next, it helps us to seek God's guidance. Um, in Judges 20, 26, they were entreating the Lord in a battle and wanted to fast. In Acts 14.23, they were appointing elders, or there might be ministry decisions. Not sure what to do. I had one of our ministry leaders ask me this week, you know, I've got this little dilemma. Uh, we got this and this and, you know, difference of opinion. I said, well, you know, first of all, I'm not going to tell you what to do. I mean, you can do whatever the Lord is leading you to do. It's, it's your ministry, so you do what you want. But... One of the things you might do is consider fasting and ask the Lord to give you direction, all right? It didn't take 24 hours, and a decision was made, and it was a kind of a, a peace of mind. Um, the Lord is eager to give us wisdom. So we're seeking guidance. You have a, a, a decision to make. Just kind of kind of clear the table. All right, let, let's ask God to, to deal with this here, Okay. Um, you know, maybe, maybe there, there, there's an issue going on with the children, right? Maybe it's a couple. You could say, hey, let, let's just fast, all right? Now, don't tell the kids you're doing all this, all right? Just, just between you and your spouse and ask God to help you out here. Give some direction. 
Next, this is an interesting one, especially in, in our season, expressing grief, all right? 2 Samuel 1, is then David took hold of his clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. I mean, that grieving can, can creep up on us, can it not? It does. I mean, many of us, I think, are, are prone to just kind of stuff our emotions. You know, we lost Craig last month and um, Craig Johnson and lose Craig Fields this week. And I mean, it's uncomfortable to talk about, right? But, but we have to face those things and what's going on in our hearts. And, and one of the things about fasting, it, it allows us to, to face our loss and it gives God an opportunity to, to enter in and, and supply us with comfort, with, with understanding, with perspective. So instead of walking, you know, away, I, I, I just can't deal with this now. No, I'm going to walk toward this. I'm going to allow God to, to tell me what he wants to tell me, to do with me what he wants to do. And I'm going to embrace the grieving, accept the lessons, put my ear to the track, and ask God to speak to me. Next is that we're, we're seeking deliverance or protection. In Second Chronicles 20, Jehoshaphat called for a fast for the whole nation of Judah was facing an attack by the Ammonites. Hmm. Sometimes we face harrowing difficulties. We need intervention by God. Fasting is one way in which we can do that, deliverance or protection. Next, we express repentance, express a, a returning to God. First uh, Samuel 7 and Jonah 3 talk about this. We're told about Nineveh, which was rife with rebellion against God. And then Jonah 3.5, it says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. And they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So that means all of them were doing this. All right? So you think about that. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that every time you confess, right? But sometimes it seems like there are certain sins, bondages that dog us, right? And I'm not saying this is a, you know, an elixir to all things and cures us. I'm not, not saying that. But sometimes maybe our dealing with sin is just on a surface level. You know, okay, God, I'm sorry. All right, let's move on, right? And repentance is only skin deep. Perhaps there are times that we need to dig a little deeper. Make sure that our hearts are truly taking responsibility. That we're not trying to evade the issue in any form or fashion. And that we truly humble ourselves before a holy God. Fasting is one of the ways that can help us do that. Repentance before God. Next, we, we express concern for the work of God. In Nehemiah 1, when the walls of Jerusalem were in disarray, Nehemiah seeks God with fasting to restore his people to be a testimony to other nations. Uh, that, that wall wanted to be, needed to be built for not only for protection, but as, 
It was a testimony to how good God was. Um, and then in Acts 13.3, we read this. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So they, they were praying for them. They were fasting about that ministry for Paul and Barnabas and sent them off after fasting. Next is to be effective in ministering to the needs of others. Have you ever been involved in a ministry and hit your head against the wall? Didn't get the response that you wanted? Anybody who was involved in ministry has had that. Listen to Isaiah 58. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no advantage of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. So there's anger going on here. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. So you're hitting your head up against the wall here. You're angry. Everybody else can see it but you, okay? You've got issues you're not dealing with, right? Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the, the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness? So notice there's, a, there's two different kinds of fasts going on. There's one that seems to be just cursory, and then one which is, you know, there, there's God really at work. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Is it not to let the oppressed go free? To break every yoke? Listen to these things. Is it not to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? So what the Israelites were doing is keeping themselves separated from the real needs in their own community or their own people. And Isaiah is saying, we need to fast. Get a true picture of what's going on around us and in your own hearts. Prayer can break those chains. Lastly, fasting can be a part of worshiping God. In Luke 2.37, Anna is mentioned here as one who, who worshiped God in the temple and says she prayed and fasted as a part of worship. You know, I thought about this, that can you imagine the impact if many of us fasted on a Saturday to be ready for worship on Sunday, what kind of impact might that have? Might try that. So various reasons as to why we fast. Again, not an automatic elixir or fix-all, but merely a way to position ourselves to be in a better posture to hear from God, to entreat him unhindered, right? So I just want to give some practical ways to consider. If you've never fasted before, here's maybe some practical suggestions. You can take it or leave it. First is start small, all right? Don't, for your first fast, tell yourself, all right, I'm going to go two weeks without eating anything. I'm just going to drink water. That's not realistic. Start with maybe one meal, and then on your next fast, you could 
You could do two meals, all right? And then you work your way up to a, a day-long fast. So start small. Next is be smart. Now, some may have medical restrictions concerning fasting. Attend to those things. Uh, whatever fast you do, drink your liquids. You know, that means plenty of Dr. Pepper, all right? So be smart. Number three is plan and prepare. Plan and prepare. Identify your purpose of fasting and design a focus upon that, okay? Why am I doing this? What do I want to get out of that? So you might, you might devote yourself to prayer and meditation by having scriptures related to the topic that you're going to be talking about, and, and you might pour through those scriptures. So it might take some preparation. And now with the computer, you know, that's really easy. Do a word search, read through some verses, pray over those. You, you can easily have a, have a plan. You might even have a journal ready to write down your thoughts of what God is saying to you, even write down some prayers. Without a purpose, without a plan, it's not Christian fasting. It's just going hungry, right? So have a plan and prepare. And lastly, don't be afraid to try a variety of fasts. Uh, and we find this in the Bible. Uh, there are personal fasts, there are communal fasts, you know, private and public. There were congregational and national fasts. Consider fasting maybe as a family, as a small group, or even our whole church can do that. Um, and again, you can fast from something other than food. Now, there's an unusual difficulty in your family. Again, like I mentioned, you, you might try a fast. You have a big, big decision to make. Try fasting. See if God can't give you some, um, some direction. Now, when you do group fast like this or, or church fast, does that negate the instruction in Matthew 6 about showboating? I don't think so. It, it could, potentially. But number one, when everybody does it, you know, it's less of a temptation to show off. And number two is that your heart can still be intent on a holy purpose, all right, even if others join in. So I think you can still appreciate the, the spirit of these fasts, even if, if you're doing it as a group. So praying, fasting, good thing, right? So we're going to have a different kind of closing this morning.